Hi, and welcome to Gay Out the City. I'm your host, Prince Electro Diamond, and today I am here with singer, songwriter, and Instagram model Onyx, whose single Toxic is out now. And this will be right. my season finale of the podcast. So, what a great way to end it. Yes. Hello. So, how, so how are you today, sexy? I'm good. I'm good. It's been, uh, April was exhausting, but we're here and I'm doing well. How are you? Right. So I will say, I am very excited to interview you. For anyone who doesn't know, I am persistent. I've been trying to get Onyx on here for a while, but everything happens in due time. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh, hold on. My camera's freaking out. There we go. Okay. There we go. So, <laughs> so my first question is, where are you originally from? Good question. I'm originally from the Valley here in California. So I was born and raised in Cali. And then when I was 13, my parents retired early and moved to Colorado. But now I am back in LA. Awesome. So what was it like for you growing up as a kid? What was it like for me? Um, I had a very interesting childhood because I was an only child. My parents had pretty big jobs. So they weren't around a lot. Um, but when they were around, my dad wanted me to be in every sport. My mom wanted me to be an actor and I just wanted to be like a weird kid. So it was like a lot of kind of jerking me around and like kind of being involved in everything. Um, while also kind of feeling a little bit alone because I didn't have any brothers and sisters and because I was involved in so much, I, I, you know, it was hard to like stick with one friend group. I had so many different friends in so many different places. And yeah, but otherwise, I mean, I had a fun life. We we camped every summer. We had a motor home. We, I was like a very extreme kid. So I liked everything to be like fast and loud and big. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of what it was like. <laughs> so you say that as an only kid, but you, as an only kid, but you got, all the attention obviously because you are an only kid and yeah <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people say like i'm the youngest i have an older sister but like everyone thinks oh the youngest gets all the attention i never felt more ignored like <laughs> i am someone who Damn. like did all of this is like a desk in some ways a desperate way of me trying to get attention like okay yeah i feel that no i and you know i i getting attention was difficult for me because like even though i was the only child i i was still just very lonely like i was a latchkey kid have you heard of that term yeah it's like basically like you know kids that get keys to their house when they're really young and you can kind of like you know most people most people's parents don't don't let them you know be home alone at a young age but i was able to do that so i felt like very lonely a lot and so i just like i think that's where my imagination spawns from like I had to, I had to be imaginative and I had to like create my own little world because I didn't like, you know, I didn't have brothers and sisters to hang out with. Right. So, okay. I'm going to ask this question this way first. I'm going to ask you this question again later. So what was it like for you coming out as gay? Mm. <laughs> well, for the longest time I did date only women and then I met my um, I met my first boyfriend on Craigslist <laughs> when uh, when I was seventeen, and he was already out out of the closet. And you know, so I was I was basically just saying, "Hey, I'm gonna go to hang out at my friend's place." My parents thought it was this girl that was one of my best friends, and I would drive all the way to this other city to go be with my boyfriend. And finally, towards graduation, he gave me an ultimatum he was just like listen like you have to come out of the closet like your parents don't know who i am your friends don't know who i am i can't be the secret and if you don't do it by graduation we're done and i was like madly in love with this person so i was like shit like how do i do this right and so i waited until graduation day and uh you know when my parents are sitting there in the bleachers and my my grandma's there i sat my boyfriend at the time next to them without them knowing who he was. And so when we threw up the hats, 
and we ran into the crowd. And up to this point, my whole school, like it wasn't even a thing where it's like, oh, we know, we know that bitch is gay. Nobody had any clue because my, my boyfriend was at a different school in a different city and I had a whole different life. And so instead of running up to my parents and hugging them afterwards, I ran up to my boyfriend and I kissed him in front of everyone. <laughs> and my parents were just like, who is this guy that's been sitting next to us for hours? And I was, I introduced them and that was that. <laughs> See, that is beautiful. <laughs> That's great. I had, okay. So in terms of my family, coming out was good. I only had to come out to one parent because I came out four months after my mom died. So I only mm -hmm. had to come out to my dad which was easier. My family was all accepting. My sister was all accepting. I I came out to a youth minister, which I always say oh, wow. at this part, mistake. So I told him about this performance idea I had where like, it involved me in a knife and like all of this. I'm creative. Like, yeah, you know this. You're the evil person. That's kind of in some ways why I relate to you because <laughs> of the fact that you are like the villain. And in some ways, I kind of relate to that as well. Anyway, so he left the room, came back. He said, you have one of two options. Either you're coming with me or I'm calling the cops. Oh, shit. And at the time, I thought going with him was a smarter idea. No. <laughs> I took a psyche valve. I passed the psyche valve. He kind of lied to make it seem like I was lying in the psyche valve, and I got locked in the mental institution for 64 hours. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. Thank you. It's one of those things where it's like... In some ways, you don't want to say, like, you're grateful that it happened, but it's like, in some ways, like going through stuff like that kind of made me the person I am today. Oh, exactly. Like all of like, I've, I've lived, you know, a thousand different lives. I've, I've seen some of the most terrible things on earth, but I don't regret them. And I'm grateful that they happened because if they hadn't, I wouldn't be the person sitting here now. Yeah. And I like this person. <laughs> right. I think I'll keep okay. them. <laughs> So, okay. So, who are some of your musical inspirations? Okay. I have one that I think is the most inspirational for me, which is Lana Del Rey. Um, Lana, I discovered, you know, during the darkest part of my life when I was addicted to drugs many years ago, and her music just, like, made me feel like somebody else had been going through that and to that point i felt very alone and so i then studied her and i was already an artist at this point so i studied her you know her lyrical writing and it's actually so beautiful and so brilliant and that's she's definitely one of my biggest inspirations i think sonically you know like she wants revenge and the weekend and billy eilish and all of those people uh definitely inspire me as well but lana is just kind of like like literally like i'm sitting next to the freaking <laughs> her w magazine cover i have her shit all over my apartment like an obsessed fan but <laughs> yeah right so okay so i read this in like one of your interviews so one of your interviews i did see that you mentioned prince and i can definitely say on like yeah. I'm like half to death. I can definitely hear like the Prince inspiration in that song. Yes, I love Prince. I was always told, I think especially from ages like like 17 to like 26, I would always get like, wow, you look just like Prince. And I love his I love his freaking his falsetto, his like <laughs> like all the yeah. moments, just like Michael Jackson. And it's just yeah, and he's also just like so gender fluid. So yeah, I love I love friends. Yeah. So with me, I would say like obviously for me, 
with you, Lana, I'm the exact opposite side of the spectrum. Mine's Gaga and like Christina Aguilera are like two of my still Gaga, yes, of course. And like I would say a little bit of Britney, like I would say pretty much like every pop diva you think out there that like I kind of like all of them. I will admit I'm not a huge fan of like Taylor Swift's like country years. But like other than that, like <laughs> I'm definitely not a Taylor Swift fan. I respect her career and what she's done. And I know that she is definitely an ally. Gaga is like probably my number two or three. Like, yeah. you know, Gaga, Gaga was the reason why I wanted to be like, I really wanted to be a performer. My right. mom, right after I came out of the closet, I had that whole moment. The first thing that my mother bought me were tickets for me and her to the Monster Ball. <laughs> I love that show. It was so fucking well done. And I remember we were in the, not even like, we were just kind of like up a few rows. And I just sat there and I was just like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. Right. I want to do what she's doing right now. And I want to do it. I, I love how like she, her shows are just like nobody else's. Right. And it's like, I, I don't know. She's just like so unhinged and so connected. It's so crazy to see somebody that's so disconnected from like, you know, the planet Earth's reality while also being so connected to her fans. And that's exactly how I feel about myself. You know what I mean? I, I've chosen, you know, to have this villain persona and create my own world in which I exist on my own terms. So technically disconnected from the reality that we lived live in, right. but so connected to my fans. And that's something that, something that I've always taken from Gaga is, you know, obviously as she's gotten bigger and bigger, it's harder for her to do, but I do know for a fact that she does personally stay connected with her fans. Right. And that's something that I've always, and like, I, I think I see some, some fans in the comments right now. Like I talk to them every day. We, we hang out on my lives. Um, yes, I can see your chats. <laughs> um, and it, it's just, God, oh, I can't see them. That's, <laughs> You can, oh, I can see. There's like a ton of comments right now. <laughs> yeah, usually I can see this. Anyway, I'll keep going forward. Yeah, I so, can... Okay, so who would be your dream artist to collaborate with? That's so hard. <laughs> um, I would. I mean, obviously, I would say Lana. But, you know, there's another artist. And, like, I like, I love when artists get together that really come from two different spectrums of music. So right. it's like La Lana's writing is a lot like mine and I talk about her all the time. So I think that's kind of something that like would be expected. But do you know who Dochi is? Who who is? Dochi? No. Dochi is a an R and B artist who's also a rapper. She's really, really talented. She's really coming up. She just did the um uh she just did main stage at Coachella. She, ugh, she's so good. She, she actually likes a bunch of like, anytime I post her stuff, she likes it on Instagram and I geek out over it. Cause she's like so good. So her, or I also love Banks. Do you know Banks? Yeah. 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 I know Banks is. Yeah. I love Banks. Like sad girl shit is, I love sad girl shit. Um, right. yeah, yeah. Those are a couple. Those are a couple. So, okay. So I'll answer this question. Obviously, for me, it's to the point that you said about like different artists and different styles collaborating. I have answers for like who I'd want singer wise, and I have answers of who I'd want rapper wise. Okay. So like singer for me would obviously be. I'll start with like mainstream artists and then go from there. So like singer would definitely be Gaga. Rapper for me would be either Iggy or Nicki Minaj. Yes. Yeah. So, in terms of queer artists, singer, hmm. my friend Benji Bradshaw is really great. Um, oh, yes. Yes. I think we follow each other online. Yeah. Um, what other singer? Honestly, um, singer wise, 
you would be like <laughs> yes. and then like rappers i would probably say either my friends my friend sage suede or pretty boy rock okay both of yeah love so okay where's my next question oh so would you actually consider yourself to be famous or are you more just like known in the la area interesting question so i have a very cautious relationship with fame i i you know as bold and outspoken as i am i like to be as humble as i possibly can right hence hence why i you know i me and my team always leave with kindness we're like, I love helping people. I love it when my fans come to me with their problems and all those things. So like saying like I'm famous or I'm a celebrity is always something that like I, I hold off on saying. Now, obviously I'm, I'm known in the LA area, but I do think that now as time goes on and my collaborations get bigger, my projects get bigger, my streams get bigger, you know, I do think that I'm achieving a level of fame in my own right. And, you know, I'm excited for it to get bigger. You know, the bigger my platform is, the more people that know who I am, the more, you know, impact my words will have, the more, you know, lives I can change with my songs. My songs are meant to make people feel powerful and make people feel inspired. And so, yeah, I think that I'm definitely on my way and have reached some level of fame. Yeah. And by the way, I have to state that to be clear. I am not like saying this as a dig to Onyx, like saying, oh, you're not famous. What I was just saying is like. No, it's my own opinion about it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Because I did say, I did see somebody like say that in an interview about you and said like about being famous. I'm like, I'm like, I would argue that you're well known, but as I say, if I can get like a hold of you, you can't be that famous. Like, <laughs> well, and also it's like, you know, I just like, I, I like to talk to all my fans, you know, like I'm not busy 24 seven, obviously it is a little, it's getting a little difficult for me to be able to sit down and do things like this. But I also just, you know, even, you know, when I reach the day where, you know, my career has exploded and all these things, a huge mission of mine and something that I'm going to stick to is coming back and doing these types of things with all different levels of journalists, of reporters, of queer, right, uh, of queer individuals, because, you know, it's, it's taken a long time for me to even get to this point. And I understand how important it is to give back and to, and to pay it forward. So, right. yeah. Okay, so how involved are you in the production slash engineering of your music? Very. Um, so I have a very unique way of doing things um, in regards to creating my music. So I have several producers that I work with, and by several I mean about six. Um, and you know, my music is very different. I have kind of a, a genre to myself. I, I like to call it sinister pop. It's not quite like any one other artist. Um, and obviously my voice is a lot different than, than most artists. So it's taken a lot of time to find people who can really, really work with me on getting this exact sound that I have in my head. So it's like every step of the way I'm involved. So it's like, even if like, you know, somebody sends me a piano track and I write something to it, like, you know, I'm in the studio, we're creating the tracks together. We're laying down the vocals, we're mixing and mastering together. So I like, I, I, when I write a song, I already know how I want it to sound at the end. Right. So the, the only way that I can bring it to that point is if I'm involved. Right. I mean, I asked that question because like, I know not all artists can make beats. I can. A lot of what I do is very, very minimalist, which a lot of people, I remember I like went to audio engineering school at one point and I would like make this simple beat and like people around me be like, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, listen, just wait until you hear my vocals on this and then it's all going to make sense. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I, I would say like, 
I am involved in the beat making or the track making process. Do I know how to, like, can I sit down on my own and do it? Absolutely not. Like, that's not my forte. I write every word. I deal with right. most of the things hands-on, but it's like, you know, where I am not strong, I have people that are very strong. <laughs> right. And we've been, like, one of my producers, Jack of All, we've been working together for over 12 years. So he knows exactly, like, we know everything about ourselves creatively and together. Right. So it's a really, really fun process. And it's good that you, like, know that about yourself. If I wanted something that sounds more mainstream, obviously I'd reach out to somebody, but I'd rather in some ways I want to say this, and you might know this as a songwriter, like, I don't know how to write happy. I literally know how to write, <laughs> I know how to write in like three modes. I know how to write in anger. I know how to write in sadness. And I know how to write in like sexual slutty, like version of things. Those are the three modes I know how to write in. I do not write happy okay. at all. Like, I definitely understand that. I actually challenged myself like six years ago and I wrote a song called happy and I'll probably never record it. And I started writing it. I was like, okay, I can do a happy song if it's called happy. And it literally was, it, it, I, by the time I got to the end of it, I realized it was just a song about how I couldn't write a happy song. Right. <laughs> and you know, my, my moods are a little different. I would say one of mine is like power hungry. One of mine is like obviously super villain. I did just write kind of a love love song to myself, but it's it's still this like this like villainous sexual thing. But yeah, I can't do like a let's go to the club and let's have fun and drinks on me and party 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 and happy smiles. That will never. And if you know if I do come out with a song like that one day. Just know that there's like an underlying message that has nothing to do with that. <laughs> well, I mean, you will say this. You wrote a love song to yourself. I haven't even done that. Like, one song that, like, is a song actually, I think, okay, I will say this. Sound-wise, it's something I think you could pull off. Subject-wise, it's something that I don't think you'd be able to pull off. And, well, okay. maybe, you've, maybe you've had this view of yourself at one point. So it's a song I wrote called um called Fuck Mary Kill and it's basically about <laughs> me like always being the like ugly one that everyone wanted to kill. Oh shit, okay. So it was they always say like say positive things about yourself. I'd rather be honest. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I I feel that. And you know, I I always tell people, like, when people are like, you know, how do you keep making these songs that, like, these people just, like, it's like I had this cult following for my music. Like, my, my following and my streams and everything on streaming platforms, much larger than my Instagram following. Like, my, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy how people, like, won't just, like, take the extra, like, five seconds to, like, find me on Instagram and just click the follow button. But they'll, like, the, the amount of, like, for instance, my song Illuminati is on 115,000 playlists. Wow. Like it's, that's 115,000 people that took my song and put it and listened to it every fucking day, but won't go over to Instagram and click. It fucking blows. My, it's fine. But that means that my music is working and that's always been my number one focus. But you know, when people ask like, how do you make these songs that just like go viral or like people are just like killing for them? I'm like, you know what? I don't make songs for anyone else besides myself. Right. My, the music I make is music that I think I would like. I like to think that I have good taste in music. And, you know, I think what really changed things for me is, it's interesting because it, it kind of relates to what you just said about about yourself and, and kind of, you know, the truth. I used to write music that was all about my past with drugs and my sadness and breakup and, you know, you hurt me and like, or like I'm addicted and all this shit. And I was like, why aren't these popping off? These songs are really good. You know, people still like them to this day, but why aren't, like, why isn't Spotify adding it to their algorithmic playlist? Why, why the fuck, like, why the fuck doesn't anybody want to listen to this shit? 
And then one right. day, a friend of mine, um, his name is Brandon Rogers, he challenged me to release this song, Illuminati, which was so out in left field. And it was about, you know, it's about all the things that I want in the world, right? But not just all the things that I want. It's like all the ridiculous shit I want. I want right. boats full of diamonds. I want to party with Cardi B. I want Bugattis. I want fucking, I want money. I want all these like crazy fucking things. And the second that I did that and I, I put out a song about manifesting what I want, completely changed the trajectory of my career. Wow. Well, I will say this. Illuminati is actually my um favorite song of yours. So it's yes. like, <laughs> and it's like, my favorite part is I love the way your vocals sound on the chorus because it sounds like, in some ways I described it to somebody and it sounds a little ominous and I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's, that was the first song that I started playing around with that, that exact sound. And it's, and it's like, it's interesting because like all the other songs that exist that, that are about the Illuminati, you know, uh, freaking Madonna has one and all that. It's all about how they are already rich and yeah. like, it's just giving Illuminati vibes. And mine was just real. Mine was like, you know what? I want all the shit that I didn't have when I grew up. I want all the diamonds and I want all the favors and I want all the papers and I want all this shit. And that's the first time that my, I really started playing around with what I call my vocal fingerprint. You know, exactly like the texture of my voice and how it sounds and how it how it sounds in the hook. And I wanted it to be ominous. I wanted it to be this big voice that's just like, you know, even though my octaves aren't that high, and, and, except for my falsetto. My falsetto is kind of like randomly insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's definitely one of my first songs that has the darker ominous feel, especially in the hook. So, okay, going back just a little bit to the point that you said about your Instagram following versus your songs, I will admit, when I first started following you, I did not know you were a musician. So, like... And I think that's because, like, there was a gap in between, you know, when my career started and now, where I, you know, I went by Daddy Onyx, and, like, I was underwear yeah. modeling, and it was just, like, jock straps and thongs and shit. Sorry right. to all the fans in the comments that missed that era. <laughs> She's gone. Um, but, you know, you remember I had that beard. It was like the same shit. And to be completely honest, I, even outside of my drug past, I had never been more miserable in my life during than I was during that time period. Right. Because no one viewed me as the musician that I was. And that was nobody else's fault except for mine. I was so incredibly sad every single day that the only thing that I could get booked for, and I was booked seven days a week, but the only thing that I could get booked for was me being, you know, mostly naked, dancing on a table or hosting a gig in my underwear, and everyone just talked about my ass. But that's the only way I could get validation back then. Right. And God, you know, one day I just like, I, I snapped. I actually left the country. I ended up living in Costa Rica for four months. I needed to just heal my soul because I was just like, oh my God, this like this feels like I have like a cancer or I have like some sort of illness where I just can't even like, I can't even write music because I feel so sad. And then, you know, it really just like refreshed myself. I dropped Illuminati and then I was like, okay, now people are respecting me as a musician. Now, it's like, yes, there's still people that remember those days, but now people see me as a musician. Now people know that that's what I do, and that's what I meant to be here for. Yeah. So, wow. See, you say that you got so sad that you couldn't write music. My thing is, I write the most music when I'm sad, so, like, the fact that I had like a long stretch of time where I wasn't writing music. I felt was like a good thing because it means mm -hmm. that like I'm in a good place. But then one day I wrote, it was crazy. I wrote an angry song and I wrote a sad song in the same day. And it's like for the sad song, I always say like in some ways this isn't the healthiest thing, but I went like deep, deep, deep into my archives of a beat of a song that I hadn't touched for a while. Mm -hmm. And I listened to it over and over and over again. 
And then I finished it. It's a song called I'm Not Your Beautiful. And it was about how I'm not like it came it came from a much more positive place when I wrote it. Now it's like I wrote it kind of as me saying, like, I'm not what LA considers beautiful, but that's okay. Like, I am who I am. Great. Yep. Absolutely. Which, when I wrote yeah, the that's, beat, that's... it was not the state I would have been in when I finished it. I know it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how art comes to people differently. You know, when I... It, even though when I'm extremely happy, I write music that... I mean, I can always tell that I'm in a good place when I'm writing again. When I, If I go through a week and I haven't written anything randomly, I know I'm like, oh shit, I need to recenter myself. And it's yeah it's it's interesting how it hits everybody different work so but yeah it's funny everyone thinks i was so happy and so thriving and everyone was so proud of me when it was like daddy onyx and underwear and all that shit i'm like bitch i was the most sad <laughs> that i've ever been like oh my god i like, i dreaded every day waking up and like i worked in retail i fucking like everything was just like I would go to those events five, six, seven days a week, and I would just do the same shit, and I'd get on stage, and, like, I just, you know, sometimes people, when it, when I, I just went out yesterday, and sometimes people still come up to me and call me Daddy Onyx, and, like, now, luckily, I'm strong enough to be like, don't call me Daddy like that. Like, unless we're fucking, don't call me Daddy. Right. <laughs> I'm like, you can call me, like, Emperor or Sir, but... <laughs> Not daddy. Oh, you you like being called sir. No. Sometimes. No, Sometimes no, for me, absolutely not. I'm like, <laughs> if if you if you call me sir, I'm like, I am not my fucking father. Like it's like it's like call call me my legal name or call me Prince or call me Prince Electro Diamond. Do not call me sir. I'm very much I am someone who's that's very much like a share thing. Like share doesn't like being called ma'am. Because she's like, that makes me sound old. And that's the way I think and feel about it. Oh my gosh. I bet if you ask most, even the fans that are on here right now, I feel like I'm very much like a, a father figure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. Just don't call me daddy. And we're good. Right. So, okay. Well, I mean, you kind of answered this, but... So, okay, so you you being in that, like, state of being Daddy Onyx, is that why there was, like, such a large break between, like, Double Dose and Manimal and High? Yes. Well, let's see. Double Dose and Manimal and High, yes. There's two things. One, one is because i had a past with drugs i lost like two years of my life it was like very 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 traumatizing and it took me a long time to get out of that and then also as soon as i got out of that it's like i needed some sort of validation and you know i started working out in the gym my body was looking snatched and i just started getting booked for underwear modeling gigs and that was kind of a, a good stream of revenue and all that but yeah that's why there was a big break and then one day the depression kind of started catching up with me which is why I started releasing songs like Take Me Now and High and Half to Death because I was just like, I have to get back into my music, but I also have a lot of shit that I need to get off my chest. And right. so that was kind of the period of like music as therapy. And now it's not so much therapy to me anymore. Like it's, I'm not trying to get rid of any trauma because I feel very solid in who I am now. Now it's about manifesting what I want. Right. And to that point, I have to say to my fans, because my fans always ask me this, when they talk about me and music, it's like, I always say, my thing is like, listen, I work a full-time job. I do this. I have to do all the research myself. I have to reach out to all the guests myself. Music will come when I have time. I do not mm -hmm. have time right now. <laughs> I am so busy trying to book guests for this, because... As I said, persistent motherfucker here. I don't like to... Until you tell me no, I am not going to leave you alone. Like, that's <laughs> the kind of Good person deal. I am. 
I feel that way. No, you did your job. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I know even like going back to, I was talking about Phoenix. Phoenix told me this. It's like people forget. It's like if you don't like, if you aren't constantly on somebody, you will be forgotten. Like I'm not at the point where I can just like, oh, people are just going to come because I'm an interviewer. I'm not like Joseph Shepard. Like, I need to reach out to people because it's like, in order for me to get to that point, I have to interview people. Yeah. And interview oh my God, bigger I love, people. I love that you must. I love Joseph. Joseph is actually a friend of mine. Yeah. He's very, very sweet. What are they? Let's see. What are the fans saying right now? Oh, my God. Yes. Vanessa and MJ are on here right now. They're a couple of my biggest fans. I love them to death. <laughs> So, it, okay, I'll ask this. If you had the opportunity to be signed to a major label, would you take it or would you rather stay an independent artist? Great question. Um, I have had a couple of opportunities, but the stipulations were, they, they involved me relinquishing a little too much of my creative control. And what I'm doing right now works and it's what is making me happy. And people are resonating with it. You know, I don't think that there's been another, you know, like pop star super villain per se. And right. I like it. I like that I'm opening up myself to be able to tell these crazy ass fucking stories. And I would rather do it my way and have it take a little bit longer than sell sell myself out. So am I open to it? Yes, of course. I would love the money. I would love the funding and I would love the, the reach. And I I imagine that that's going to happen soon-ish um but yeah I, I i've always been the type you know i told my manager and i told my team like you know even though the, there's been dollar signs thrown our way it's i i will know like i went to school for artist management i know contractual law in regards to the music industry i know what looks good and i know what looks bad and right. I, I won't sell myself short just to go mainstream for a minute fuck that and it's also in some ways the way the um country is right now and i have a question about that later but it's like they might in some ways i would view like try and like straighten your image out if that makes mm -hmm. sense and like that to me seems like you're like fans of you now would probably hate that because that would no longer be you it'd be what they want you to be Exactly. And I have no interest in doing that. And, you know, as big as more and more queer artists are kind of stepping into the light, I think that it would be 100% worth it to stay authentic to myself. I've already tried to not be authentic to myself. And like I just told you, it makes me very, very sad. And I don't want to go back yeah. there. I won't go back there. Yeah. And you shouldn't. Like, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, I'll, I will, I'll stick it out. <laughs> right. So, okay. So, do you sing live when you perform in concert? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I have a backing. I usually have backing tracks. They're usually turned down pretty low, but I dance, I sing. My, my performances are very theatrical. Right. I think there's been, there's been a couple times, you know, back when I was, like, performing in, like, the nightclubs of West Hollywood where you you and I both know that sound systems are trash. And so sometimes it was like difficult to hear me or we would have to like, you know, use a backing track that's more similar to the levels of the actual song. But yes, I do sing live. Okay. Work. I mean, I get that as someone who's like, the worst thing is like, I would say like in terms of me performing live, it's like when I'm in a competition and it's like, Clearly, there's an instrumental track going in the background, and it's like somebody knows that I sing live, and they're not going to hand me a microphone. It's like, you know I'm about to sing. Like, I need a microphone in my hand to start. Like, yeah. it's like, now I have to think about where the cue is in the track and, like, get myself in the right spot so that I start and don't look like, an, look like a fucking idiot when I'm trying to, like, perform. Exactly. Yeah. No, now we have like, now my team sends a writer. We make sure that we get all my equipment on stage. Like, 
no, I, I need that mic 20 minutes in advance. I think. <laughs> right. Cause you have to like, like sound check is so important. That's why like when, oh, yeah. when like I hear about drag queens, like being like three and four hours late to shows, I'm like, I literally have to be there like at least a half an hour early. Cause I want to hear what I'm going to sound like. Like, Cause I, cause I will say I'm the one drag artist who never lip syncs at all. Like I sing live every time I perform. Yeah, no, I, I feel that we're always extremely early. Cause I like, I also like to scope out the venue and figure yeah. out, you know, where, where, where can I live on stage? Where, where are we going to be afterwards? Where am I going to feel safe? Like depending on where I'm performing, like there could be a ton of fans there. There could be not that many. Like I want to make sure that like, you know, we're always, we're, we're very professional when we perform and it's just like, it's, it's very much so like the pop star experience. And so I just wanted to make sure that everything is like in right. check. Cause I've, I've tried to do the, the disorganized, just jumping into the performance thing and holy shit, it is terror. It's yeah. the worst. <laughs> totally. So, okay. So what is your favorite song of yours to perform? And what is your least favorite song of yours to perform? to perform oh man um my favorite song thus far because i have a lot of new music coming out this year so i'm sure my favorites will change but up to this point um illuminati is always my favorite thing to perform i love the choreo like we we do some like really really like spooky shit when we perform illuminati it's yeah. like it's like basically I play this like Illuminati puppeteer on stage almost. And I like control everyone with like my fingers and my hands and the dancers are doing some like really fucking cool shit. Um, and it's just like the, the hook is just like super gangster. My least favorite to perform. I don't think I have a least favorite. I don't, I don't think I can answer that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think. Well, like I mean, that's there. a good thing. That's a good thing. You haven't gone to your Madonna like a virgin stage where she's like, she's like, I hate. Per she there were like years where she's like, I hate performing that song, and then all of a sudden, one yeah. year she just said, I'm gonna do it again because my fans want it. And it's like, yeah, it's like you don't have to sing it the same way. You can do different arrangements of the song to make it different. You don't have to sing it the exact same way every time. Exactly. And, you know, in my shows, especially when I'm doing like a 30 or 45 minute set, like for a lot of the rides, I actually do a lot of like unreleased music. So like there's a song that I'm actually releasing this evening just on SoundCloud. It's called Drugs. I've actually performed that song like 10 times live and nobody's like realized it. <laughs> um, and I like to do that. I like to do covers too. I cover tear you apart rehab by amy winehouse like all kinds of crazy shit yeah as someone who does Jets. um mostly covers now i get that covers I, are fun I've, re I've released several i mean you've heard toxic i did a really really cool cover of um once upon a dream by lana del rey the one that shit for maleficent um i'm having some other covers coming out this year as well that are pretty cool but I won't, I can't talk about them yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So now getting off of your career a little bit. So what, what's your dating life been like in LA? <laughs> my my current dating life. <laughs> um, well, my last relationship, which was a really, really beautiful relationship um we were actually engaged we live in costa rica together i still love this person so very much we talk every single day that ended last july um i was pretty kind of i was pretty torn up about the breakup just because you know and both of us have been it just it needed to end and I'm, i don't really i'm not gonna get into details there but it's like that that was like my person you know what i mean so it's like i have dated a lot since then like gone on a date had little like spurts of a few weeks or a few weeks here with so and so but it's becoming difficult for me because i think i find myself comparing these new people to the relationship that i had right where where this person knew me like knows me better than i know myself um but then also there is 
a weird aspect of dating in LA when you're someone like me. And it's like, if I meet somebody that doesn't have high aspirations and dreams and goals in their life, there's like an aspect of jealousy that I keep right. running into. And there's like, the, or there's like somebody that just like wants to latch on because I'm doing a lot of cool shit and they know that they're going to be invited to places. Right. And it's hard to like weed through that. So it's like, I, I don't really, I don't really know what I'm open to anymore. I'm, I'm kind of just focused on my life and my career. And if something happens, it'll happen. Right. I mean, I will say this for me in terms of like dating. And this is something I've said to somebody like, I am someone who's like very open. Like I could date a drag queen, but I could not date a drag queen who does what I do. So it's like, I would date somebody who's like a lip syncer because that's not my thing. But if you're like a live singer and like wanting to be like a podcast host doing kind of like what I'm doing and you were mm -hmm. like to shoot up before I did, there'd be, in my opinion, a little sense of jealousy there. Okay. And that's not like healthy in a relationship to be like jealous of the person you're dating. Yeah. And like, I, I am not the type of person to be like, if, if I were to date, a, an already established pop star like i i'm just the type of person that like i have a lot of love to give and i don't get i don't personally get jealous about those things but it's like i think most of the population does right and and which is natural it's human nature to like you know if you have something that's close to you that is getting what you want and you're not getting it like it's it's natural to feel jealous but i don't know i don't know i also don't know what i want <laughs> right. I don't like I I don't know I, my I, I'm just I'm a lot <laughs> I'm like I'm yeah I'm just I encompass a lot of aspects so it's it takes a very certain type of person who can really keep me like mentally stimulated right yeah totally so no, I think I'll ask this question first. So has it been hard for you to develop genuine friendships in LA? Um, I don't think it's, uh, that's interesting. I have a very, very small circle of friends, of close friends. And then I have like other circles of like, you know, acquaintances, club friends, social life friends and all that kind of right. shit. But I have just like really like my one of my best friends in the whole world. His name is Ethan. Um, he works for the Boulay Brothers, and him and I have been friends for so many years. Never once have we ever gotten into any sort of an argument. We're just like that's my ride or die bitch, and I would like literally like hide a body for this person. And it's it here's the issue that I see with, with people moving to LA or like finding friends in LA is that people try focus too much on having volume like people try so hard to become friends with 30 people that they can't right. that they that they mistakenly don't give you know that one person that's so worth it and is so their like life friend that they end up just pissing off 20 people or coming off as like fake or something like that and i just decided years ago i was just like you know what Let's just focus small. So it hasn't really been difficult for me because I, I, I made that decision to not, you know, like all the other friendships are cool and they're great, but it's like, there's only a handful of people that get like the hundred percent of my time. Right. And I mean, I totally get that. Like in terms of you saying like, you've never had a fight with your like best friend. I've had one fight with my best friend ever. And we've been friends now for, 13 years so i mean like mm -hmm. i'm not someone who does that and like i have like obviously i've developed friendships through doing this podcast because it's like you spend time with people you're gonna click with some people you're not gonna you're gonna click with some people better than others so like yeah but i like it i'm not i'm very much i don't know about you i'm very much an introverted person so like in terms of like the life of the party, that's never me. 
So, like, I like the aspect of drag of, like, where people can come up to me and talk, and I don't have to start conversations. Like, that's something I treasure very much. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I have my introverted moments, like, that's kind of a coping mechanism to me when something isn't going like the way that I necessarily want it to. I'm able to kind of just, like, I live alone, so, like, I can just, like, lock myself in my house. But otherwise, definitely more of a life of the party person. Right. Um, you know, when I go out, it's, it's, I'm always on. <laughs> right. I'm always, I'm always six foot six in my heels with like some crazy ass look. So, but then again, I, I, you know, it's life of the party, but it's also what you just said. It's like, I like when people come up to me and right. talk to me. I don't like, I'm not the one that's like running throughout the party needing to get everyone's attention. Like, that's definitely not me. Right. So wait, so you said you're six six in heels. How tall are you actually? Six foot. Okay. So like I mean, I get that. Like I'm six foot three. So like depending on even. depending on what shoes I'm wearing, I can be anywhere from like six foot five to like six foot seven to like seven feet tall. I have like I don't wear them that often anymore, but I have like Frankenstein boots that I love to wear and like Yes. But I have, to, I have it, tons of Oh my god, my platform's crazy. Yeah. It's sometimes, as you probably know, being a taller person, it's sometimes it's difficult to fit under a table if you have to sit. But like other than that Yes, your legs just get mangled under there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I I even like when I went out last night, I had so many friends of mine that are just like, Onyx, you're so tall. And I'm like, I don't get why anyone says that to me anymore. I have been the same height out in public for years. <laughs> Well, see, when I tell people that, people I actually think are, like, shocked when I tell them that. And I think it's because, like, in my photos, I look shorter than I actually am. Mm. And I guess maybe it's just, like, the angle that I take it at. But, like, when I tell people I'm six foot three, they're like, they're like no way. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So... Okay, so I'll ask this question then. So, have you ever suffered with body insecurities? Oh yeah, <laughs> I have. I've been just about every body size. I know, looking online, you probably wouldn't be able to tell. My body weight fluctuates very, very quickly. Um, I used to be five eleven, six foot at one hundred and twenty something pounds, so I was tiny, and I could not for the fucking life of me gain any weight and I looked very unhealthy and it was like it was like miserable and then after you know then I was on drugs and then I became even skinnier which some for some somehow and then after that I gained a lot of weight and then I became muscular and then during the yeah. pandemic I gained a lot of weight again and I was just definitely like a bit overweight and like my body fluctuates all the time I have like it's I have a body image now that's a little bit more secure but I, I don't know. I, it's it's a it's a, it's an interesting thing. I I don't I don't think I'm where I would like to be for myself, especially with my mental health and my body. Right. Um. But it's just a work in progress. But okay. So I would say this. Obviously, I talked about my body. Well, I did a little bit discuss earlier my body insecurities, but it's like. I also had like a completely unrealistic version of what I think I should weigh. So like in my mind, again, six, three, I thought I should weigh 150, 160 pounds. I'm like, I have never weighed that in my life. I don't know why I thought I could get to that. Like at a certain point yet, I went to the point of like, you're a bigger bitch. You have to get used to that. You have a fat ass, like <laughs> yes. it's like it's it's like black guys are into you. If you like lose all this weight, you're not gonna be able to take their ginormous dicks in your ass, like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Right. <laughs> no, I feel that. Like, and you know, I, I I wouldn't say I'm I'm insecure about my body. I just go in and out of phases. Like I said, for some reason, my body type is like. 
Like I could be like full muscular ripped looking one day and then a week and a half later I'm like a stick or like, <laughs> or I look like it just like, I don't know. It's, it's probably mostly in my head, but I, I think I'm, I'm content. Right. And I will say this, like kiss your ass a little bit. In my opinion, you've always looked good. So like, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, okay. Where okay, so is it difficult being a non-binary, I said person slash performer in LA? Um, in LA, no. I could imagine other places it probably would. But the thing yeah. is, I've always I've always played with this, with masculinity and femininity since I've lived here. So it's like people weren't really shocked when I came out as non-binary. Um, yeah. And honestly, I think it gave me more sense of a community. Because a lot of the other non-binary and trans folks out here kind of gravitated towards me, which I really love, um, because it's a really, really sweet community here. Um, but yeah, and people like you know, I, I'm my own version of non-binary. You know what I mean? I think everybody and their non-binaryisms is different. You know, I, right. I would say personality-wise, I definitely present more masculine. And then it's just like, you know, sometimes you'll see me out in a dress or, you know, I love to wear my makeup and all those things. So it's definitely a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I mean, that's you being you. Anyone who thinks that, like, even in non-binary, you have to fit in, like, a box clearly doesn't understand what non-binary is. Like... Exactly. <laughs> So I got my fans always oh. always comment on this, but I always have freaking cherry chapstick with me. Right. And earlier they were just like not Onyx putting on cherry chapstick for the thousandth time. And yes, I do. <laughs> I get it. I have to like anytime I'm not wearing lipstick, I put on chapstick all the time. Like Yeah. <laughs> I have to. These lips get chapped like crazy. I don't know why. Anyway, um Okay, so you kind of went into this, but I'll just, like, delve in a little bit deeper. So, what is your relationship to drugs and alcohol? Mm, another great question. So, obviously, in the past, drugs is something that I abused. I also have, here and there, abused alcohol, for sure. You know, last year, after my breakup, I saw a really, really scary pattern. And so I didn't know alcohol or anything for 60 days. It's amazing. I suggest it to everyone or anyone who thinks that they're maybe taking alcohol a little too far. Now, drugs, um, I will never go back to the drug that I was doing. Um, but I have, because I experienced it and I, I came out of it, you know, so abruptly, I've been, and it's been such a long time since all that went down. I still like, you know, smoke weed and things like that, but it's just like, I know my limits. Right. And I, and nothing in this world will ever bring me down that rabbit hole again. And, you know, if I, if I see somebody that I love and I see, or I see somebody that like I know of and I can tell that they're having a problem, I'm the first person to reach out. Right. I, I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what the, the, the behaviors are. And it's just like, I just have to tell them, you know what? I was lucky that I made it out alive. And you may not be so lucky. Like, what, let's have a talk. Yeah. I mean, I can't get it from, like, the illegal perspective. So I'll just say a little bit on mine. Alcohol, not really a problem. Drugs, I never abused anything illegal, but... Okay, so just a little bit more about me. So I have, like, they're not as bad now, but I have bone spurs in the heels of both of my feet. Mm -hmm. So, like, I had a, I had a tendency before I had health insurance to, like, be in a lot of pain. And when I would do that, I used to abuse ibuprofen like crazy. Like, I totaled this up at one point. I was doing, like, eight – I was taking, like, 18 to 24 ibuprofen a day. Like – Yeah, so it was just, like, 
I got to the point where, and like every, and you probably know this as someone who's like abused drugs. Everyone around you knows when you're abusing something. Like, oh yeah, people would point it out to me all the time. And it's like, no, I'm fine. I'm only taking these four. It's gonna be like fine. And all of a sudden, you look at yourself and you're like, wow, that's like intense. And like, I I only did it for four months, but it's like if I had kept doing it. I know it would not have ended well for me at all. Like Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like, <clears throat> it's interesting that you mentioned that everybody around you knows. And back then when I started doing that, because I was so, like, I've always been so self-aware, I knew that the yeah. first thing that I had to do since I was addicted and I didn't want to stop was I had to isolate myself from the people right. in my life. So luckily, like, my parents are still living in Colorado and my friendships and whatnot, I just slowly started to not see them. And I was able to hide it, hide it for a long time. And like, that's what I, I can't even to this day believe that it lasted for two years and that I came out alive, like, and alive and well. And like, right. I didn't, like, I saw, I saw people in my life, you know, that were also using drugs and whatnot. I saw them completely deteriorate, complete psychosis. They are still to this day, like not even a functioning human being. Right. And I, I don't, I don't even know how, how I was able to come out of it without losing my mind but i'm thankful for it right well i mean it's not for everyone but at some point you have to like i guess what they say like quote unquote faith face the music and you have to realize like what you're doing is not good and in some ways, you probably, like, start to think about, like, okay, the people around me, I understand, like, you shouldn't live for other people, but at some point, you have to, like, live, you have to be alive for them. It's, like, it's the point of, like, being suicidal. I've been there twice myself. Like, I know that, like, feeling of being, like, it'd be better the thought of it'd be better to be dead than be here. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, it's kind of dark, but it happens. Totally. Absolutely. So. Okay. So I've got two more questions. So, okay. So what are your thoughts on how the LGBT community is being treated today in America? Whoa. I just had a whole conversation with somebody about this. Um, <clears throat> I am upset on a daily basis, I think. I... I'm so confused. I'm so confused and yet so not confused. I understand why. Like, I understand the politics behind this, which is so sad. And it really is reminding me of the civil rights movement. Right. You know, with, with African Americans where, you know what, a group of people, you know, we're on their way to getting all the rights they deserve in this country because they live here and we're just like anyone else. Right. Then another group of people, which just happens to be the same exact group of people who's coming after queer people, they decided that black people shouldn't be in the same areas as them. They should drink at separate fountains. They should sit in the back of the bus. They should not be able to run for Congress, all of these things. And what happened? There was complete civil unrest. The civil rights movement was violent. It was terrifying and all those things. But I feel as though that's where we're headed. And like, I'm definitely ready to like fight for my community and all that. But it's just sad that like, it's 2023. How can we possibly be on our way to moving backwards like this? Like, it's just, right. it's, it's exhausting, but I'm here, you know, I'm here for the good fight. Well, I will say as someone who lives in one of the states where they've decided to start on the drag bands. First state was Tennessee. Second state is the one I live in now, Florida. And my feeling is I would say 
to any gay person who thinks that they should move to Florida, you're fucking dumb. Don't move here. Like, I saw people who left L.A. and moved to Florida. And it's like, yes, L.A. is expensive. I get that. Just keep on working. Keep on, like, making your money so that you can live in L.A. You do not want to move here. Like, um, shit. I can't hear you. No. Yeah. <gasps> um. Oh no. Oh boy. God, I figured there'd be one interview where everything would go right. This is like, (laughs) I figured just one, like, no, I can't hear you at all. Oh, baby. Right. So, okay. So, hmm. we might have to end it here, (laughs) unfortunately. Because I will say this at some point, I'm going to turn this into an audio podcast. So, I will just say to this part, for when I turn it into that. So I'm having to end the interview because like Onyx can't Onyx can hear me, but I can't hear Onyx. So like I guess what at that point I'm gonna say to this part it was great having you on. I loved getting to interview you. Hopefully I'll come up with more questions and I'll get a chance to interview you again and everything can go right the whole time. And with that being said, this is Gay Out the City. I'm your host, Prince Electro Diamond, and I hope you've enjoyed.